Lord, how often should I forgive? Is Jesus' response to Peter's inquiry into forgiveness realistic? What kind of justice is Jesus asking Peter to understand? Peter wants a magic number, something finite, or a kind of rule upon which he can rely. But Jesus turns that concept on its head. Not once, not twice, not even seven times. Nope. Seventy-seven times Peter must be willing to forgive a number so large as to seem unrealistic. On its face, the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18 reads like a treatment of justice because Jesus starts with the law, the reckoning for a business transaction and the subsequent penalties for defaulting. The debt owed by the slave is staggering, so large as to seem unrealistic. Literally, a debt it would take several lifetimes to repay. Yet, upon hearing the slave's pleas for mercy, the king takes pity on him and forgives the entire debt. Instead of going out and joyfully sharing his good fortune... The slave immediately begins to collect from his own debtor rather violently. His selfishness causes the king to take strong action and, rather violently, to condemn the slave to torture until he can pay. Justice, seemingly, is served. The king and the servant, to me, represent metaphors of two kinds of people. Those who receive the Holy Spirit and those who do not. When Jesus left the disciples and ascended to heaven, he left them the promise of the Holy Spirit, which fills the hearts of those who receive it and can lead us all to closer union with God. The Holy Spirit equips us with the tools we need. You've heard the list. The fruits of the Spirit to live a life of grace. The king in the story clearly exhibits the gifts of generosity, kindness, and gentleness toward the slave. His example is one that is easy to apply today. We must forgive those who owe us debts, monetary, emotional, whatever. The king, at least in the first part of the parable, acts as one who has received the Holy Spirit and lives with that expansive spirit in peace. The servant, on the other hand, encounters the gift bestowed upon him. However, instead of emptying himself in order to be filled with that gift of grace, he ignores it and goes right on serving his own selfish desires. He isn't changed at all by the realization that he has just been saved. He's safe from punishment, and that's all that matters to him. Sometimes I think that's the way we too feel about our moral life. I go to church, I pay my tithe, I say my prayers, I don't kill, I don't steal. I'm basically a good person. Boom, I'm covered, right? 
don't have to do anything else. And when the time comes, I'll be safe, right? Even if I do backslide a little, I'll be okay because God is merciful, right? And Jesus died for all of us, right? What's a little sin here or there as long as I keep following the big rules? The king in the parable grants forgiveness to the slave not out of some rules-based sense of obligation. After all, he's the king. He can do what he wants. But he is full of the spirit of grace and goodness. He stands to gain nothing in return from the slave. God is like that with us. Our debt to him is staggering, just like the slave's. Still, He forgives us through Christ's ultimate payment. We are justified or made right, not only in Christ's faithfulness, but by Christ's faithfulness. That's the grace that sanctifies us or makes us holy. As a result, we are able to grow more and more into God, If we make room for God's grace to grow within us. So why does the slave end up in torture? Maybe it's because he couldn't let go of himself. He couldn't make room for the grace offered to him. He couldn't see that there is a way to live beyond oneself for others. A pay it forward kind of attitude, but not out of some sense of obligation. Well, the king let me off, so I'm bound to do the same for those who owe me, even though I don't really want to. In my opinion, that's not what God wants for us, though. God created us in His image in order to have a relationship with us. He wants a relationship with us because we are all His beloved children. By entering into that relationship with Him, we can realize our, the Greek word is telos, which means our true purpose. He sent his son to live among us, as one of us, to give us an example of how we are to treat one another. Jesus lived without sin, yet was punished with death on the cross. We live with sin, yet are saved from punishment because of the cross. Our only real task is to pass that forgiveness on to others. We pray it almost constantly. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. But it's not easy. Some debts are very great and very painful and very deep and very hard to forgive. Verbal, physical, emotional abuse can cause shame or fear for the victims, even to the point that they might be reluctant or afraid to do anything about it. Rachel Held Evans, a Southern author who writes about faith, doubt, and life in the Bible Belt, posted about forgiveness and abuse a couple of years ago. She outlined four brief thoughts to build on. First, forgiveness does not require staying in a bad situation. There's nothing selfish 
about escaping an abusive relationship or a toxic environment. The life to which Jesus calls us is an abundant one, a joyful one, and a just one. And God does not delight in the suffering of his children. Second, forgiveness does not require accepting empty apologies or trusting a bully or abuser. While a tearful apology is not enough, if no substantive steps are made to put an end to the abuse. And while neither an apology nor repentance is required for forgiveness, an apology alone is not enough to rebuild trust. Third, grace does not require remaining silent about bullying and abuse. Confronting bullying and abuse is not wrong, and it's not unchristian. It's the right thing to do. It's standing in solidarity with the very people Jesus taught us to prioritize, the suffering, the marginalized, and the vulnerable. And finally, forgiveness and grace do not preclude justice or demand superficial reconciliation. Archbishop Desmond Tutu wrote, True reconciliation exposes the awfulness, the abuse, the hurt, the truth. But in the end, it's worthwhile because only honest reconciliation can bring real healing. Forgiveness does not preclude justice, truth-telling, or accountability. So back to Peter and justice and forgiveness. I think Jesus is trying to show Peter and us that forgiveness is a kind of justice. Divine and human forgiveness must go hand in hand. In Kingdom Grace Judgment, Robert Capon wrote, There is only one unpardonable sin, and that is to withhold pardon from others. The only thing that can keep us out of the joy of the resurrection is to join the unforgiving servant in his refusal to die. As Christians, we are called to forgive even if we think it may be undeserved. As Christians, we are further called to work toward reconciliation, no matter how hard it may be. The good news is that Christ sets us all free in quantities so large as to seem unrealistic. There is grace enough for all. Amen.